of working a button. Sorry. First time I heard that song, actually, of all the crazy places, was at First Presbyterian Church. I was doing a disciple now for them last year. Matter of fact, about this time last year, and uh, my friend Harris York, who's no longer there, he's uh, working on uh, finishing up some schooling to be a, an, a pilot. He's already got his pilot's license, but a missionary pilot, and um, moved away from there. And he was playing that song, got me fired up, and uh, still jacks me up. So I love that song. don't know why. It's cool. Uh, he today you're in the grace of God because because of the great and awesome love of God toward you in Christ Jesus and so that should always fire us up right hey um you can bet anytime the people of God are gathered um, life together under the word um, you can bet two things and one the spirit of God intends to lead us into the head who is Christ to take us to the father and Satan hates you and seeks to steal kill and destroy so if you would just join me in prayer and um, if you would just lift your hands to the Father and, uh, and you pray and ask the Lord to, to help us this morning as we uh, go to the Word, okay? If you do that, come on, you can move. It's all right. Lift your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, we pray that now you will help us to take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit so that we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We pray that you'd help us to take your sword, your Word, and wield it well. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would now counsel us and guide us, lead us, help us to see Jesus, who we may see glory. And pray against the evil one and the effects of the evil one, that you would, you would mediate those for us now, Father, that you would win, open our eyes, open our minds, that we may see and savor more of Jesus now and win that war for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about the nature of fellowship. Um, and we're going to continue that today, and we're going to continue it next week and wrap it up. We talked about the radical life, communion with God today, community with each other, life together under the Word. And if you've missed these first few talks on fellowship, you should go back and listen to them because you really can't recap everything. You just don't have time. But they're there for you to go listen to. Today we need to talk about community with each other. Radical life, life together under the word. We spent a lot of time defining fellowship, life together under the word. And we're talking about all the various pieces of fellowship, and fellowship is a very nuanced and multifaceted reality in Scripture. And it's going to take us some time to work through it well. But as we've been looking at for a few weeks, is fellowship, community with each other. Is not possible apart from fellowship with the Father. We cannot have fellowship with each other if there is no communion with God. And we're not going to rehash last week. But it is absolutely essential that we have communion with God down in order for community with each other to happen. That's the tenor of Scripture. That's what we've been taught. Just by way of encouragement, number one, keep meeting together. Continue. Do not forsake yourselves assembling together with other believers. And I don't mean that the Sunday morning event. I mean the daily, weekly, continuing to gather together because many of you are doing it. Secondly, keep ministering to each other. There is fruit that is coming from this body as you serve each other. You have not been gifted so that you can have a gift. And so that you can take an inventory and see which one it is. You've been gifted to serve each other 
And that's happening. Keep rolling. Do not let the enemy rob you of that joy. Third, keep serving each other. It is, again, producing fruit. Keep meeting. Keep ministering. Keep serving. There is fruit being produced in you. So hang with that. Hang with that. Hang with that. Again, the next few weeks, next week we're going to talk about collision with culture and really kind of introduce that toward the end of our time together today. Um, Because people in communion with God are in community with each other and you will collide with culture. You will collide with culture. It's absolutely necessary. Um, But then we're going to talk about the symbol of fellowship, the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the danger to fellowship, sin. We're going to talk about the responsibility in fellowship and all the various pieces to that. But as we turn to our introduction today, I want to remind you of 1 John 1, 3. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do not forget, do not forget that it is absolutely essential that you commune with the Lord. That you spend time with Him because that is the impetus to fellowship with each other. That is where we are strengthened to serve each other. That is where we're confronted with sin so that we can repent and have time with each other that is right and sweet and rich. As we turn to our passage today, Acts 2, 42 to 47, I'm going to read it and make a couple observations, then jump into dealing with it just a little bit, okay? Acts 2, 42 to 47. Community with each other. Community with each other. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2, 42 to 47, community with each other. Some observations to help us get out this passage. Number one, the people have been empowered with the Spirit of God to do the Acts 1-8 mission. What's Acts 1-8? Flip back there and take a look. Jesus had told them to gather in Jerusalem and wait He said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I did not, that was totally like a slip there. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1-8 serves as the outline of the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus told them to go and wait and when they are empowered with the Spirit, they will be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Of the earth. And so, what Acts 1 8 is doing, Luke is showing us what he's about to describe for us in the global evangelization of the world with the gospel. And Acts 1 8 describes and is a description of the advance of the mission, and the rest of the book of Acts is going to unpack the details of how that plays out. As a matter of fact, some people have called the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Most of your Bibles have a little title, say Acts of the Apostles, when in fact it's more appropriate to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because what you see is the Spirit doing the mission of the gospel through the hands of ordinary people, including the apostles. 
So they've been empowered with the Holy Spirit to do the mission. And Acts 1-8 is descriptive of from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's exactly how the book of Acts is going to play out. Jerusalem, boom, Pentecost. Boom, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, Judea, Samaria. Boom, Acts 19, the uttermost parts of the earth where the Lord witnesses to the validity of the gospel in among these people. And next thing we see, Paul's in prison at the end of Acts, awaiting trial of which he will be released and he will make it to Spain, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Which, by the way, read Acts with Acts 1-8 in mind. It's an awesome story, the global advance of the gospel, which, by the way, is an unstoppable force. Number two, the empowered people then came together in community and fellowship. They've been empowered with the Spirit for the mission. And then they came together in community and then in fellowship. And then, of course, they began to collide with culture. It wasn't long before they were colliding pretty heavy with their culture. Well, what did their community, what did their fellowship look like? Something to keep in mind. This is not a how-to on putting together a church service. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is not intended to be a schematic off of which people put together church services. It is a description of what their fellowship began to look like because they were now empowered with one in the same spirit. And because they were empowered with one in the same spirit, this group, this band of followers of Jesus Christ were now put together in one family. And Acts 2, 42 to 47 begins to describe what that new fellowship was looking like. In other words, it's describing what life together under the word was looking like for them. What's described is how this young church at Jerusalem began to do fellowship after they were then in communion with God. And by the way, this is some great, great wisdom on how to function in connect groups. I would argue that in your community life together, daily, weekly, however we gather and need to gather, there is wisdom here for us to apply when we gather. Talked with a guy this week from Louisville, Kentucky. His name's Chad Lewis. He didn't have to take this time to talk to me, but he was gracious and spent some time talking. And, and Josh was part of that conversation. And one of the things he said to us was, in order to grow, in order to get big, he said, you've got to get small. There is no growth personally. There is no growth corporately. Unless we are small enough to serve one another in community. There is no simply making disciples in the Sunday morning gathering. And here's why. Because you could, you could get the largest building in Floyd County. We could get the largest gathering in Floyd County. We could have 5,000 people meeting in one building. And 4,900 of them could slip in and slip out with no responsibility to one another, no love for each other, consume a product that they like, go home, and never, ever be an agent of transformation in another Christian's life. That's not growth. That's consumerism. That's buying a product. Life together under the word happens not necessarily fully in the large gathering, but in the daily interaction and service to and for one another in all the multifaceted ways 
and gifts that have been sovereignly distributed among us by the Spirit to grow us into the head and the chief shepherd, Jesus. When you're together in community, you can't hide. You can't slip out the back door before a pastor has a chance to shake your hand and say hi. Because you're stuck around a table or in a living room and you've got to do life. Right? And so what did this new band of Christians do as they were empowered for the mission? They came together in community and they came together in fellowship. So what did that look like? Let's read it again. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, day by day, day by day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A couple of observations. Number one. What did they do in this new gathering? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching under the word. They were under the word. Interesting note here. As I was playing with this passage this week, the paragraph preceding what you probably have in your English Bible includes verse 42. And the next paragraph starts in verse 43. Now, in case I just confused you, if you're looking at your Bible, most of your translations have verse 42 to 47 as a paragraph. In the Greek text, verse 42 is up in the previous paragraph, and verse 43 through 47 is in the next paragraph. That's pretty important. Let me tell you why. Let me read verse 41 and see how that paragraph closes with verse 42. You ready? So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, for that to happen here. Amen? Yeah. And they devoted themselves. Who? All 3,000 plus the 120 who are already following Jesus. Right? 3,120-ish. And they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words... In this great event in which the people of God are brought together in one body, they are now devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, that is the natural thing that happens when the Spirit of God saves a bunch of people. Is they are gathered together under the Word doing life together. The apostles' teaching into the fellowship. That's what happens. Meaning, the life of the body is a natural result of being birthed into the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? If you have been saved, if the Spirit of God has awakened your dead soul to life and given sight to your eyes and caused you to come alive, 
the result is that you are under the Word and in fellowship. That's what happens. If there is no fellowship, there is no salvation. Because fellowship is as natural to the new heart as breathing is to a live body. It just happens. It just happens. Notice the language here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So my first two points are really, they probably could go together, but I separated them. Number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word devoted also goes with point two. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word devoted grammatically fits on both of those describers of what's now happening. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Meaning, they were devoted to what the apostles were teaching. This would later find its expression in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As they were teaching about the life of Jesus, they were devoted to understanding and knowing who this is and what we're supposed to do as a result of this. In keeping with Jesus' teaching in chapter 1, as He taught them what they were to do, this would have included subjects as His resurrection, the Old Testament Scriptures. Isn't it great that Leviticus just preaches the Gospel? Isn't it glorious? These apostles, I mean Luke, by the way, who's writing this, is the one who wrote Luke 24, where Jesus is recorded as taking them from Moses and working through all the prophets and showing them himself in the Scriptures. Luke was, they were unpacking this stuff for him. Hey guys, in the manual, here's Jesus. Right? You ever read Leviticus and you read through the laws? And it's like, uh... Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, right? That happens. But when you read those beautiful, beautiful laws through the lens of the gospel, what you start to realize is, wait, Jesus did all that for me and now I have access. Oh, yeah! I get it. I get it. And so it would have included such things. Their Christian witness. And even their thinking on and enjoying Jesus' earthly ministry with them. And so they were devoted to this. As they came together, there was devotion to hearing about Jesus. With the whole counsel of Scripture. Listen, man. When you do fellowship, the Scripture should not be far off. There's a devotion to the Scriptures that brings life to community. And, and, and sometimes that just kind of has to flow out of your daily walk with the Lord. It may not happen in the book that you have in front of you, right? There's some good stuff you have. You have Gospel Project stuff, and it's loaded with good stuff. But sometimes you come together, and you're just like, Dude, I have to tell you about what happened to me this week. And I was reading this passage, and the Lord met me there. And he spoke to me and he gave me a word. And I was able to come and hang today because I'm not just in the dumps. Because he lifted me out and he helped me get here today. Because the word fuels that kind of stuff, man. They were devoted. They hung on the words of Jesus. Mary and Martha, great example, right? They're hanging out. 
Mary's listening to Jesus. Martha's working. And Jesus said, she's chosen the better portion to sit and listen to me, man. There's something about being devoted to the Word that produces life in the awakened soul. And, and I could say that maybe 23 different ways, but that's never going to take root until you just do it and taste it and see that He is good. But they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So when you come together, I hope that the Word flows out of your mouth the same way the discussion does about whatever dumb reality show the night before, right? Or in my case, what sporting event just happened, like the NFL Combine, and whether or not Marcus Lattimore should be taken by the Falcons, which I think would be a good pick in the third round. But saying, man, if he's there, it's a bargain. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like the word should flow like that from me to you. I should be devoted to the apostles' teaching because you need to hear my walk with Jesus from my lips and I need to hear your walk with Jesus from your lips. We're devoted to the word, right? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Man, I long, I love when somebody opens the Old Testament and unpacks Jesus. That makes my day. That feeds my soul. It's like driving up to the pump and putting high octane in, man. That is good stuff. And by the way, it's free. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. So what, what happened when they came? Into the family of God. Life together under the Word happened, man. They were under the Word, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Point number two, they were devoted to fellowship, to the fellowship, as a matter of fact. Fellowship has the definite article, meaning not just fellowship in general, but the fellowship. That is the fellowship defined as the church. This is important. This is important. When we're talking about fellowship, I'm not just talking about human relations. Okay? Because you can have good, solid human relations with people in general. I'm talking about spirit indwelled, gospel purchased followers of Jesus devoted to the same mission coming together. That's what I'm talking about, right? And I'm even going to get a little more specific and say not just spirit filled, gospel purchased followers of Jesus devoted to the same mission, but. Spirit-filled, gospel-purchased, followers of Jesus devoted to the same mission, gathered under the same roof together. Life together under the Word. Devoted to the fellowship. Devoted to the fellowship. That is, there was a devotion to being with the people of this church. This was the church at Jerusalem. And, and just so you know, that had to get broken down, as we'll see in just a minute, into their homes. Not as a prescription, but as just a description of what happened. Because, see, they didn't have nice, fancy church buildings, right? They had the temple, but it was still where Judaism was taking place. And they still came together there, and we'll look at that in just a second. But they had to become devoted to one another. This group of people had the same mission, going in the same direction. 
And they were devoted to that. They gave their lives to it. It wasn't an addendum. It wasn't a footnote. It wasn't a flirtation. It was a devotion to this group of people. Which are on the same mission, going the same way, under the same roof, with the same God. They were devoted to it. They were devoted to it. Now, what did it look like? Well, you notice when I read verse 42, I, I said comma. Because what's after that comma in the rest of verse 42 is a descriptor of the word fellowship. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, comma, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Meaning the breaking of bread and the prayers is what their fellowship together started looking like from the very beginning. Now let me stop here and say this. There are a lot of people who say the breaking of bread probably included early observances of the Lord's Supper, and I would agree with that. Because it has this little the breaking of bread, kind of distinguishing it from just eating. But it's also pretty clear from the rest of the New Testament that a lot of these churches, when they gathered... Observed the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal they ate together. What that looked like, I don't know, okay? I wish, I wish it was there for us. Thou shalt do A, B, and C, and it shall look like this. And thou shalt be able to use Cheez-Its if thy like. It's not, okay, it's not written like that, okay? And so I'm just being honest with what's there, but it's evident that they were eating together and somehow in the context of that, they were remembering the broken body and the spilled blood of the Lord. Because by the way, the Lord's Supper comes out of the Passover meal, which we'll be taking a look at that in a few weeks as we do the Passover meal together, the Seder meal again this year. And so for those young Jews, it wasn't abnormal to eat a long meal together and in the context of it, remember the Lord's Supper. But the point is, they were gathered together, taking a meal together. They were together, doing life together. And the prayers, the word prayers has the the as well. Meaning this wasn't just prayer in general, but the prayers. If you go to chapter 3, verse 1, I think it becomes clear what he's talking about. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Meaning that these young disciples were still having a presence among those that they just came out from in a witness to the gospel that they are now in. Just so I can say that another way. They've been saved. And they used to attend the prayers in the temple as a good Jew. And now they've been transformed. The Spirit has now filled them and they're doing life together, but they're still going out there where the people that they are coming from still are Praying to Jesus where those people are not praying to Jesus. Having a witness to the gospel among those who do not know. Meaning there is an evangelistic nature to their prayer life now. Meaning this. Their fellowship wasn't just private. It was public in their practice. They practiced their fellowship publicly. But what happened as a result of that? 
They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, which is the breaking of bread and the prayers. What happened as a result of that? Well, take a look. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You go on over to the next chapter or two, and you see Peter and John, and dude being healed, a beggar, as they're going up to the temple. There was awe at the supernatural work of the gospel being accomplished among these new believers. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Listen, guys, I know that's weird probably for some of you to think on a little bit. But the power of the gospel is no less powerful today than it was 2,000 years ago. God still saves sinners. He still heals sick people. He still preserves you. By the way, if you didn't give up on Jesus today, that's supernatural too. He hasn't left you alone. That's last week, right? You are in Christ. And I'm telling you, there is supernatural work to be enjoyed in this fellowship together. Listen, man. You you ever had those moments where you're together and the Lord just speaks? And it was for you. Maybe nobody else heard it but you. That's that's an awesome sign and wonder of the presence of God in fellowship, man. One of the great things I I love about what my one gift that I have, my one talent thing that I am, is that sometimes you people do amazing things. You come up and tell me stuff that I said that ministered to your heart, and I'm listening, nodding, and I'm like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wish I had thought to say that because that's good. That wasn't me. That's an awesome sign of the Spirit of God speaking to you. When the body gathers, man, receive that and enjoy that. It had nothing to do with me. You do that when you're together. I'm gathering your little connect groups. Awesome signs and wonders taking place among us where, just, dude, how did you know to text me or call me with that? I don't know. It was just on my mind. So I... I called you and gave you that or, or texted that passage. I, man, I needed that. That's supernatural. Enjoy. Write, journal those things and remind each other. You remember when the Lord didn't forget you that time? Yeah, man, I need to hear that. Because, man, I'm in the funk right now. Oh, it's the supernatural. And by the way, when that kind of stuff happens in public, <laughs> there's witness to the gospel taking place, right? What else did they do? Verse 44 to 45, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. These people were sharing with one another. If there was need among themselves, it was so intense, they were willing to sell their possessions to make sure the need was met. How cool is that? You know, the greatest things that I've ever experienced as a follower of the Lord Jesus is the night that we brought Daniel home and we were in shell shock. And I was questioning whether or not that was a smart move. I was like, this was stupid. Oh, God. Man, my, my, my friends were there with clothes and food and toys for this little fella. They took time out of their schedule, spent money they didn't have to bring things that we needed. That's life together. 
That's standing under one another, right? Sharing. If there's a need, which, by the way, if any of you guys decide you want to obey and go take a baby that needs a home, we, we got your back. I promise you personally, we will not let you go. You understand that? If I have to move heaven and earth, and if I have to go into full-blown fundraising mode, we will get what you need. Did it for me, I'll do it for you. Coolest thing, man, somebody paid for that mess, dude. I'm trying to, after one of our year-long court battle, I'm trying to talk to my attorney, write him a check. He said, no, actually, I owe you money. Oh, what? Somebody paid me for this, and they overpaid. So let me give you the, the, the amount over. As these people did life together, they were sharing with one another as any had need. They were selling their possessions and meeting the needs of the body. Dude, that's life together. Under the Word, because the Word says to do that kind of stuff, right? Love each other like that, right? And when you're doing life together and there's needs, I've not met anyone in this body who's doing life with other people who had a need that wasn't met. That's cool, by the way. You need that. I need that. If you're going to fight this battle of the gospel, you need each other. You need the resources of each other. Because, by the way, the principle here is that little, little thing in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You own nothing. I own nothing. It's all His. So, therefore, the Bible calls us managers, not owners. Meaning it's as, much, it's as much for you as you need it as it is for me if I need it. So, okay, here. Sharing with any who had need. Verse 46. And day by day attending the temple together. So, they're still... And I don't know how this works. Luke doesn't say. But some 3,000 people are still jacking up the temple every day. They're going because that's, well, that's what we do. We go to the temple. So, let's go up to the temple. And then it says, and breaking bread in their home. So they probably got up there and was like, we ain't got nowhere to sit. What are we going to do? I don't know. Let's go to your house. Okay. So they went to their houses. And so they're, they're, they're gathering publicly and they're gathering privately. Which one of the things I think is neat here, which is not written, but I think it's implied, is their circumstance dictated their action. They read their context, they knew where they were, and they responded to where they were with the gospel as they understood it. And but let me just say this to you, you have the freedom to do that. There is no prescribed method in the scripture, which is why the gospel can go global to all peoples, because it is not a cultural thing, it is a gospel thing. And the gospel thing was made for all cultures, meaning you get in Rome, Georgia, and do this thing. Just like they did in Jerusalem. So they went, they, we go to the temple. That's what we do. Well, now we need to go to each other's houses. Okay. Yes. All that. And so they gathered publicly. They gathered privately. And they worshipped. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. They praised God. They worshipped. Dude, I know that's crazy, but it's okay to speak of the praise of the Lord publicly. Right? If you gather publicly, it's okay to say Jesus' name out loud. And talk about the Lord out loud. It's encouraged. Right? They worshipped. 
And they had favor with all the people. Meaning these people were viewed favorably and probably had to do with their love for one another. Read several commentators on that. How, why is it they were viewed favorably here? Because by the way, in the next chapter over, we're going to see that favor begins to dissipate. Not because of the character of the followers of Jesus, but because the gospel ends up colliding with the dark culture. In chapter 4, Peter and John are going to get beaten for the sake of the gospel. And they're going to go back and worship together. The Lord's going to shake. By the way, it's cool. I find this pretty interesting that every time the Lord's just thick in presence, the doorposts have the good sense to tremble at the presence of God. You ever notice that? The place where they were at was shaken. The, the inanimate objects of creation had enough good sense to shake in the presence of God. Whatever that's worth. So they had favor with all the people. There was good standing. I think one of the sad realities of our county is the church doesn't have a lot of favor with the people. Often it's the opposite. As soon as you say this right now, and I, I can't be very descript, but I need your prayers. And there are several other pastors in this town who need your prayers and trying to prevent this in the life of somebody else. By taking some proactive action. Because the gospel doesn't need to take another hit at the hands of the church in Floyd County. The Lord knows the need. So would you just ask the Spirit of God to protect the reputation of the gospel? Would you please do that? So point number four. Take action. When you gather together in your groups. When you gather together doing life. Don't ignore the scriptures. Immerse yourself in them. And that, and again, let me say this. That may not look like when you get together, you just do a full-blown Bible study. I've told you before, when sometimes my, our group of guys gather, sometimes Bible study breaks out of sports talk. I mean, it, there's no prescribed method. Sometimes we just deal with each other's life. I mean, we were praying for Josh a couple weeks ago because of a situation that we needed to pray for for him, and we really didn't get into lesson four. And, we're like 12 weeks behind everybody else, and that's okay. But we go to the Scriptures. There's a word for Josh. There's a word for me. There's a passage that speaks to each other. Don't ignore the Scriptures. Immerse yourself in them. Do life together. Gather as often as you can. Gather as often as you can. And let me just say this. I think we were talking about this in, um, with, with some guys checking out membership at Three Rivers. We're talking about fellowship today. And I think one of the, the challenges to the church in the southeast and the post-Christian south is gathering together in real community. Because we have some serious, serious cultural issues that prevent fellowship. Our context is a unique context. We're culture of nominal God-fearers and nominal churchgoers. When the Spirit of God moved powerfully in Jerusalem, He moved there and He started with a bunch of God-fearers, Jewish people who were worshiping Yahweh. Problem is, they were missing Yahweh because they missed Jesus, who is Yahweh. And so they had a form of godliness and missed the power. That's a good description of Roman Floyd County. 
A culture of God-fearers and nominal churchgoers. We're a culture of multi-church attenders who do not commit to much spiritual unless there's something in the attendance for the attender. I see this among my students a lot. They go to one church on Wednesday, one church on Sunday, and another church for another disciple now later. That's not healthy. Why? Because it's treating the church as though it's a consumable commodity, not a body that needs their gifting. I've said this before, and I don't mean it to sound selfish, but you take it however you need it. I need you. You have gifts that I need to taste. And so... Nominal God-fearers, nominal church-goers, multi-church attenders, no commitment to anything. A culture has a form of godliness without the power. We're tribal by nature. One of the reasons churches in Roman Floyd County blow up when they get somewhere between 800 and 1,000 attendants is because you can't, you can't put that many tribes under one roof and hang for long. And that tribe is by school. I've said this before. We can all point out the churches by their school. And each has their own agenda, their own schedule, their own life, their own deal. We're segregated racially. We're still a segregated city. As much as we'd like to pretend we're not, we are. If you think a person's behavior is because of their race, you have an issue still. If you default to, well, they're this color or they're that color, that's just what white people do, that's just what black people do, you've missed the fall. We're humans who are fallen, and the image of God is desperately broken, and we need the gospel. We're still very segregated racially. I've got several other things here, and I'm not going to probably take time to go through all of them. I don't know if you've noticed or not, not, but we're a Native American heritage with spiritual darkness and baggage that comes with that history, particularly, particularly when the government took the Moravian mission home in Chatsworth and drove them to Oklahoma on the Trail of Tears. I mean, the only article I've ever written that's been published that the University of Georgia was on that Moravian missionary in Chatsworth, Georgia, which, and it's in the botany department, so... The Lord spoke to me about that. Jolly, you're never going to be a writer, so quit. Your one theological works in the botany department, so. That's the way it is, man. But that's spiritual darkness, y'all, and I'm being serious. I'm being serious. I mean, I know we're by... Our culture is naturalist, right? We, we default to just thinking naturally about things. But there's spiritual issues and sin when you drive off a Christian presence trying to convert the Cherokee to the gospel. Does that make sense? Am I the only fool feeling that? Maybe I am. We're still jacked up about the Civil War and Sherman's march to the sea, right? And we're fiercely independent. Won't take you long to find talk of secession. We're fiercely independent people. We're totally skeptical. We're skeptical of outsiders. We're a town that chews pastors up and spits them out. Sin in the pastorate and scandal among spiritual leaders is common. 
And everybody in Floyd County has been saved. Now I'm telling you, that is not a recipe for fellowship. That's a recipe for Rome and Floyd County as you know it. And in order for that to change, it's going to begin with spirit-filled followers of Jesus doing life together because they're in communion with God. Because when you're in communion with God and community with each other, the next step is that you're going to collide with your culture. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We'll talk more about that next week. But we have to learn that we need to do life together. Gather as often as you can. That's going to take repentance, right? Because many of us are too busy to gather with other Christians, right? And we've got lots of things on our plate, right? We're busy. And some of it's busy doing spiritual stuff. But there's no fellowship. Fiercely independent people just quit on fellowship and go somewhere else. Gather, gather, gather. Overcome the sitting still of fellowship and pour energy into each other's lives. Take time to revel in the supernatural work of the Lord among you. Now, I'll just be very frank with you. There have been some dark days over the past year for me looking at what the heck am I wasting my life here for? It's a waste. No fruit. That's a lie, by the way. Your fruit. I repent of that. I repent. Because there are these beautiful moments where you're not looking for it. You're having a conversation with another person. Another person steps in and, and tells you about all the people that you've ministered to who believe the gospel but don't go to our church they go to another church because you had a direct influence on them I needed to hear that this week and I got to hear that the person didn't know I needed to hear that in the Lord's providence it was just time for me to hear that and unless you take time to revel in those moments and enjoy them can lose strength, be discouraged. So take time to revel in those supernatural moments. Write them down when they happen. Go back on them and enjoy them. Take care of each other's needs. Gather publicly sometimes in addition to gathering privately. It's okay to do that. Pray. Tell of the greatness of the Lord. And look for ways to be salt and light in the surrounding people in the communities by leaving a good taste in the public's mouth. They may not always respond favorably to us, but it won't. It doesn't have to be because of our lack of character. It can be simply because we hold the gospel high. And their taste of our lives can still be sweet, even if they don't agree with our worldview. Does that make sense? Life together under the word. Communion with God, community with each other. It is a necessity. It's an absolute necessity. Ways I want us to respond this morning. Number one, always sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. This room, this room doesn't do well with sound. It's just the way it is, right? 
And on the back, you lose a lot of energy. Don't need it. Sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Respond to the Lord in songs. Secondly, if you need fellowship with other believers, there are opportunities. There are groups who meet. You are welcome. You are welcome. You are welcome. Come see me. Come see Emmett. Emmett will help you get into one of those. Get into one. If we need to start one, we will start one. That's okay. But get into fellowship. Number two, there are people here who need your gifting. Somebody here that God sent you to pray for today. Somebody who needs to hear a word from the Lord from you today. And as we sing, and that person's name is on your mind, go get them and pray for them. Speak to them. Encourage them. Right? I hope you don't have the spiritual gift of discouragement. But I hope you have the spiritual gift of maybe in some manner or form encouraging a saint to stay the course today. But minister to one another as we minister to the Lord. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you obey? Will you listen? And do that this morning. I think Jesus will be glorified and the body will be encouraged. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I ask that you will help us. Help us to do life together under the word. Father, I pray that you would saturate your people with all that is necessary to minister to one another. Holy Spirit, sovereignly distribute. Sovereignly distribute all the grace necessary to build this body into the head who is Christ. Lord, where we are not in fellowship with you, bring us into fellowship with you. Draw us into you and in, in the enjoyment of you. And then would you draw us into fellowship with each other. Draw us into fellowship with each other, please. Help us to do life together under the word well. Father, I ask now that you would uncover where there needs to be repentance of sin. Holy Spirit, convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I ask that you would cause repentance to happen where there's conviction of sin. I ask that you would help people to turn toward you. Ask that you would teach us what to let go of in order to have one another and to love each other. Help us to take the shield of faith with which to extinguish all the fiery darts of evil and to step and trust. Do work among your people. Father, would you make us the epicenter of a movement of the gospel for this little town and this little county. We entrust this to you so that, Father, you would be made much of.